hear the word of the Lord as found in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, timely, timeless, and it is applicable to where we are today, inspired, inspiring. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and love the emperor. The word of the Lord. One of my children called me uh, this week, and we had kind of an interesting conversation. She said, uh, Dad, a co-worker had been looking up my church on the internet. And um, she really loves this church. She's in a new city, and it's really been good for her. And the co-worker had been kind of going through all of it and was coming back with all these accusations about all these bad things the church was doing, uh, most of which weren't really founded in any kind of truth. And my, my daughter tried to explain what they were all about, and but she would have nothing of, of it. And she said, Dad, it was just a... I just felt all this dark energy pouring out over me. It really kind of shook her up. And as I heard that, I was thinking about where we are in First Peter and this, this idea of what do you do as a Christian when you're in a society where uh, people are suspicious of the church, where they, they think the church is not really a very helpful part of society. And that's what Peter is addressing here in the, the next three sermons, we'll be looking at uh, his teaching on this. And he begins by instructing his readers to submit to the government. Uh, the emperor at the time was none other than Mr. Nero, who uh, would eventually put to death Peter and Paul and hundreds of other Christians. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether the emperor as supreme governor is sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise to those who do good. So we start off, he just, he just says, be subject to or submit to, uh, the Greek word is hupotasso, it's a military term. It means to order under or to, 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 to get in sync with the overall system of the organization so that it can function well. It has the idea of finding your right place in the order, submitting to leadership. And not a popular word today, but when you think about it, no society can exist without some kind of commitment on the populace to fit into a given order with some kind of fitting into a given social structure. The Roman Empire had an emperor, that was Nero, and officials who governed on a local level, and they do two things, Paul says. They, or Peter, they, they punish evil, and they praise good. Now, he is not writing an abstract political argument here, and so he says specifically, obey the emperor and the governor. So, 
writing to us, um, he might say something like, uh, we want you to submit to Donald Trump as president, Bill Haslam as governor, Madeline Rojero as mayor, Chief Roush, your city councilman, your school board representative. And he's talking about real people that have authority over lives. He's talking about uh, the tax codes. He's talking about the speed limits. He's talking about um, labor laws, uh, environmental rules, whatever it is. He's, he's saying what, whatever is there, one of the ways that you witness to Christ, and if we're going to read these three chapters or these three paragraphs well, it's all about witness to Christ. That's the goal. Whatever will witness to Christ begins with you submitting to the government. That's an interesting place to start, isn't it? Especially today. <laughs> it's an interesting place to start. And, and even though the Bible says we're citizens of another kingdom, we are still urged, Jesus says, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar. The Bible never says, okay, you're now in another kingdom, so you don't need to obey the government. You can practice anarchy. As a matter of fact, the most chaotic and grotesque chapters of the whole Bible are in Judges when Israel lived in an anarchy. And all you know what broke loose. Now, why do we submit to this state? Peter says we submit to the state for the Lord's sake. Not because we particularly like the person or the party or even the way the government functions, We submit to the leader for the Lord's sake to give him glory, to give him honor, because he is the supreme leader. That's why we submit to them. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And you kind of can figure out what was going on there. There were rumors about the church, just as there are today. And the rumors were that Christians were subversive, were bad citizens, that they were not following the laws, and they were destabilizing the whole republic, and so people were hating them. And so Peter says, look, in this kind of an environment, if the gospel is going to go forth, what you have to do for the will of God is do good, and that will silence your critics. And what he means is do good in the context of your government. And see, that meant only two things in their totalitarian situation. Obey the law and pay taxes. But here's the the, the work that we have to do, because we don't live in a totalitarian government. We live in a democracy. And so we have to figure out what would he have said if he were writing to us today What does it look like to submit? And you remember, it's this broader idea of ordering under for the sake of the good of the whole. What would he say to us today when we can engage in many different ways in our political system? Well, I I think he would say, honor God by engaging in the political system. I think that would be that would be kind of taking the idea of submission, of ordering under, of participating as much as you can. I think he would say government, Paul says in Romans 13.1, is a divine gift from God. He, he, I think he would say, I want you to engage it. I want you to submit, to yield, to be a part of it. 2% of Knoxville voted in the last election. 
we are all getting fed up with it. And a lot of us are ready to quit anything to do with the political system. And I am convicted because I said so much at the end of my sermon last week. I think I said, I have great hope for you. I have great hope for God. I have great hope when I see what God is doing through you in our local area. But when it comes to government systems and structures, I have no hope. Okay, now here's the trick when you're a preacher. Do you tell the truth (laughs) about how you're feeling? Um, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So last week, I erred on the side of transparency, which a good friend said, you were just your normal depressive model and self. We all let it go. (laughs) So Lawrence, I forgive you for that. Um, So I know you put up with me, but I'm convicted that, that, that I've given up on, I've given up. And one of the reasons that I, I was convicted is my friend Kelly texted me back and she said, love the sermon, uh, except uh, the part about you giving up. She said, I, I can't live in a society like this if it's never going to get better. I can't, we can't give up. And why was that convicting? Because I realized I have the luxury of giving up. She doesn't. So I think submitting to the government in a democracy has something to do with not giving up. No government is perfect. Nero was not anybody's idea of a good guy. But scripture is clear that government is one of God's gifts to society. If you don't believe that, try to book a ticket to Sedan. Paul wrote the Christians living in Rome, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. To those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And I think, you know, one of the ways we resist authority, we resist government today is by just quitting, not caring, shutting down, not participating at all. Now, that's not a Christian way to think about government. Politics is messy. It always has been. But God ordained it to praise the good and punish the evil. And we shouldn't just write it off as a sleazy Dirty business. Now, if you ever wonder if government ever does anything good, watch the documentary All the Way about Lyndon Johnson passing the Civil Rights Bill. It is gross. It is messy. It is brutal. And it did a little bit of good. Didn't solve everything, but did a little bit of good. God does not call us to write off the government. But there are limits to our submission, as Peter knew from personal experience. And this is something I want to address, especially given some of the issues that are percolating up. When the authorities in Rome told Peter to stop preaching the gospel, he says, We cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. 
And he gets arrested again and he tells his judges, we must obey God rather than men. And, and this is a really challenging idea, is that the Bible says, submit to the government authority, but there are times when honoring God means resisting the human law. Sometimes the way you honor law is by disobeying a human law that contradicts the divine law. Just a couple examples from Scripture. Scripture. The Hebrew midwives defy an, order, defy an order by Pharaoh to kill all Hebrew males at birth. Rahab hides the Israelite spies. During several years of David's life, he and his band of followers are fugitives from Saul, the civil authority of Israel. Daniel and his companions seek and gain permission from an official under Nebuchadnezzar to set aside an assignment of the king so they could eat what they could eat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow and worship the king. Under King Darius, Daniel refuses to obey the decree that prohibited behavior for 30 days to anyone except the king. In the book of Esther, Mordecai refuses to kneel and pay honor to Haman, disobeying the command of King Xerxes. So the general principle is obey the government, submit to the government. But there are limits to the submission And in those times, we have to obey a higher law. Uh, Dr. King wrote from the Birmingham jail, one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. So if we decide to disobey the law because we're obeying a higher law, we also have to be willing to accept the consequences. During the Second World War, there was a French village called Le Chambon, and the entire village united to resist the Nazi occupiers. There was a pastor there named Ander Trachma, and he had his whole congregation hide Jewish refugees. Eventually, the whole village got in on it. Eventually, he was thrown into prison. His cousin uh, was executed, and many other villagers died as well. Sometimes when you decide to disobey God's law, there is a consequence to pay. Now, Christians don't always agree regarding when civil disobedience is appropriate. And, And one of the reasons I'm lingering on this a little bit tonight is because we may be entering a season when believers decide to do more civil disobedience. And one of the things that I want us to think about on the front end is, how are we going to do that well together? Because in the past, it's often created quite a lot of tension and controversy in the church. And one of the, here's why. Christians don't always agree on when they should disobey. Matter of fact, for Dr. King, this was a huge debate, both from within the white community and the black community. Many of the people in his own church thought that he should not be out protesting, but that what he should be doing was allowing government to praise good and punish evil, and that over time, all this would be worked out. So it created quite a bit of tension for him. 
And I think we can see this already. Let me just tell you two stories about civil disobedience you're familiar with. June of 2015, a young man goes into Charleston and shoots a, a number of black people in a worship service. Meanwhile, Bree Newsom, a young African-American woman, was taking the matter into her own hands, scaling the flagpole, snatched the flag herself. She was arrested and, and sent to jail. Two years earlier, she was arrested for protesting a, a voter ID law. Now, on the other side of the coin, a woman from Rowan, Kentucky, a new convert to Christ, another woman of unbending Christian conviction, uh, took another kind of defiant stand. Her name was King da- Kim Davis, the county clerk, and she decided not to issue marriage licenses after the Supreme Court ruled in favor of same-sex marriage. She said it was because she was a soldier for Christ. Now, I suspect in this room there's all sorts of different opinions on both of those acts. But one of the things that I I want to suggest is that if this is something that starts to happen in the body of Christ, we will not all agree about it. And I want to ask you to do two things if that happens. One is, don't ask me if the whole church will do this, because we won't. We will not be a sanctuary church. We will not be an anything church. We will try to support you in doing what you feel called to do, even if there is a penalty. But don't ask the whole church to join you because we all have different consciences and different convictions and read the scripture in different ways. And when we do start to do it, and someone is out there, whether it's whatever, someone is out there taking a stand, and maybe you don't agree with the stand, I I, I ask us to trust them. Trust that they're following God. Don't judge them. Even if you're not called to do it yourself. And I think this asks a question that is worth at least thinking about if you've never thought about this very much is, is there anything over which you would practice civil disobedience to the point that you were punished. Is there, is, does your faith mean enough to you? Do your commitments mean enough to you? Do your beliefs mean enough to you? Is there anything over which you would practice civil disobedience? Oh, well, let's read on, and I want to end with a little application thought. We're not there yet, though. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And there he's touching that anarchy thing. There was a a movement at the time where people felt they had no obligation to the government because of their faith, and he's saying, no, you're a slave of God, a servant of God. You belong wholly to him and are bound to do his will. And then he ends with this, little phrase. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, notice what he's doing here. He's putting submission to the emperor in its proper context. He puts it last. He starts with honoring everyone. And that would have been a strange and radical idea in the Roman Empire because you did not honor slaves, you did not honor women, and you did not honor people who weren't citizens. Paul says, honor everyone. And that's a great way to think about approaching any political issue. 
love the brotherhood. And now respect for every person turns warmer into something of love. In other words, pay special attention to your relationships in the family of God. Fear God, live in awe of God, live in a way that pleases God. Now, I wanted to end by, by trying to get a little more practical and take some of these principles and, and work them out. Um, let's suppose that a black police officer shoots, well, let's make it a white police officer shoots a black young man in Mechanicsville. And there is a, a huge protests in Danny Mayfield Park. Or, and I began to write this sermon where this was a theory and then it showed up on on the news, suppose that someone, the white supremacists brought a rally to our city. What would it look like to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What would it look like to submit to the government for the the Lord's sake? What, What would that look like? Well, the heart of Peter's instruction seems to be this. Submit to the government's laws for the Lord's sake. Be a good citizen. Engage the political system as best you can and do as much good as you can through it. Use your freedom to serve God and others. Whatever you do, give God glory. And I want us to keep in mind, if you are entertaining in any way engaging uh, the political system uh, through, through some means such as a protest, which there just seems to be in the air, and I wanted to talk about it. What do you do if a volatile situation erupts in our city and you're wondering whether or not you should be involved? First, I would say, pray about it. And I'm not just saying that because that's what I'm supposed to say. I'm saying, step back from Facebook Step back from all the energy and all the anger. Step back. Maybe grab other people. Pray about it for a little bit. Any kind of engagement in these things must come from fervent, discerning prayer. So step back and pray. Second, reflect. However we respond to these things, we want to do it for the Lord's sake. So we must do it in a manner that glorifies God. We want to do good, not harm. And and what I want to suggest to you is doing this requires some prayerful reflection. And, And again, we've got to avoid just reacting because that's what everybody else is doing. You may be called to react. You may be called to act. But there's a mob mentality that can come out of this too. And that's not how Christians engage society. You've got to step back and reflect. And I would suggest to you that the time for reflection is now and not 11 o'clock when you get the Facebook post. And what I'd like you to ask is, what sort of things do good? I'm not sure I know. But before you go out there, before you do anything, think through, will this really help? Are there other things that I might be committed to over a long term uh, that might quietly, plottingly practice social justice in the kingdom of God? I don't mean this critically, but sometimes I, I, I find that the people that are most vocal on Facebook, 
have little to do with just the basic, boring, mundane work of the kingdom in a, in a social justice way. Maybe it's a both and, probably is. But I'm just saying, let's not just get caught up in the latest social justice thing. Let's be thoughtful and intentional and have a strategy. I read an article this week called Do Protest Work? And basically said, not usually. And it surveyed Iraq War, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter marches, the Arab Spring, the Women's March last Saturday, last January. And then he rather snarkily concludes, it was said to be the largest single-day demonstration in the history of the United States. Then Monday came and the new administration went about its work as planned. But then he goes on to argue that the reason why today's marches aren't being very effective, but the civil rights movement was effective, was because underneath all the outward protest was a very organized, very disciplined, very soulful, very spiritually led a volunteer base that was willing to go out into a crowd not with a stick and mace, but with a bare face. I don't know if protests are effective or not. I really don't. I've done it twice in my life. I don't know if it helped. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just telling you to think about what you do. Now, third and last act. I don't know what I'll do next weekend if they hold a rally in Market Square. I might go out. I don't know. I've got to pray about it some more. On the one hand, part of me wonders if, you know, what's that old saying? What if they threw a party and nobody came? You know, what if somebody threw a protest and nobody came? You know, what if nobody actually showed up when they came out with their little banners and everything? I mean, maybe we'd just get bored and they'd go home. I don't know. On the other hand, nobody showed up in Nazi Germany, and we all know where that went. I don't know what the right thing to do is. But if you decide to go out into the streets next week, if there's a white supremacist rally, go as Christ's slave, go for the sake of the Lord, go to honor everyone, go in the fear of God. And that means going in the spirit of Christ. Here's how Christ went. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. If you protest, I urge you to do so nonviolently. Do not take a bat. Do not take a gun. Do not take mace. Take the love of Christ. As one writer said, The true revolutionary power of the church does not consist in its ability to be an effective power in the world, to bring about changes in history, whether in collusion with or in opposition to the existing powers. Its revolutionary socio-political power lies rather in its union with, imitation of, and testimony to the crucified sovereign. Let's pray.